Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. What God has started in your life, He's going to finish it. He's not going to abandon you halfway. He's not going to run out on you. He's not going to just disappear as you might have experienced in real life. That's not God. What He started in you, He's going to finish. He's committed to finish it. He's going to perfect, the Bible says, that which concerns you. He's promised to never leave or forsake you. He's for you and not against you. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, said C.S. Lewis, who went on to say, but God will make us good because he loves us. And he does from the inside out and will stick with us until he's finished. Glad you're with us for today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've begun a study in Hebrews with its focus on Jesus. Last time, we were reminded of the importance of having a heart for the Lord and His Word. And Pastor Ed continues with more on this critical issue. Let's listen. The issue is your heart. You know, it's been said, and I believe it to be true, is that the heart of the matter is often a matter of the heart. That you're not looking to God's Word as His love letter to you and his instruction and his affirmation of you and, and the direction for your life. You're more interested in the opinions of men, you know, and what men have to say about things. And, and so you've developed a habit where you're in your textbooks more than the Word of God, and you're in front of a screen more than the Word of God, and it's just, it isn't desirable for you. You don't even have in your mind sometimes, and maybe you can look back this week, but you don't even have in your mind, what does God say about this? What's God's opinion about my marriage? What's God's opinion about my life? What's God's opinion about this decision? What does he have to say? You might say to me, but Ed, it's so hard to read the Bible. I don't, but look, the Bible is understood by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So as believers, God wants you to understand the Bible. He wants to speak to you. He wants to give you direction. The issue is, do you? I mean, think about the marriages here today. Think about the marriages. The issue in your marriage is not your spouse, to which some people say, ooh. You didn't say it out loud, but inside, it's not your spouse. And then you're, some of you are like, so, well, Ed, you just don't understand. It, you don't know my spouse. You don't, and you, you just want to stand up and go, no, no, no. That's true for everyone in the room but me. And you just think, man, the problem in your marriage is him, and the problem in your marriage is her. Could it be? that the problem in your marriage is both of you. And now you're the one listening to me right now. And could it be that the issue in your heart is that you're just not a man of the word and you're not a woman of the word. You don't love your wife as Christ loved the church. And some of you men are like, well, I'll be a man of the word. I'll open right up to Ephesians and I will call my wife up right now and say, this is what it says. And you might even, oh, there he is. It's got time. And yeah, I'm going to say, this is what the Bible says. Wives, submit to your husbands. Right here. But you've got to read on. Because not only does it say, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says. But if you drop down a couple verses, it says, 
husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's what the Bible says. This is heart. You know, most of the issues in our marriage is just that. You come in and you get to a crisis. We've seen that, you know, over the last six, nine months, we've just seen an overwhelming amount of calls increasing for marriage help, marriage help, marriage help. And so we'll either meet with you here or the pastors will make an appointment and, and there you are. You come in for help. You go through the process. You sit down for an hour. You open the Bible. We talk about the issues. Sometimes it gets heated. Sometimes it gets hard. But by the time we end, we pray. You leave with some direction and you leave with some homework. And man, we're excited because you sat through it and you listened and God's counsel got into your heart. And if you follow the counsel and you do the homework, God will begin to work right away, immediately, instantly, he'll begin to work. But then a couple weeks go by and another phone call comes in. Oh no, pastor, 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 we've got to meet. My marriage is worse. It's harder. It's more difficult. We've got to meet. We've got to meet today. We will drive down in two hours because you've got to save our marriage. We need it. And so one of the questions will come is, okay, if you need to come in, we'll meet. But did you do the homework? Oh no, pastor, we didn't do the homework. Oh, you didn't do the homework because the homework was praying and the homework was reading the Bible and the homework was doing a little bit of filling on what the Bible has. But you didn't do the homework and now things are worse. Right. And so we're not going to meet with you. Do the homework, then come in. No, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. God is ready to meet you where you are if you will draw near to him. He's ready to work with you. Now, as the word comes a little bit stronger as we sit in the room together, of course we're going to minister in comfort to you. We're going to minister to the pain there. We're going to minister to the separation. But the same counsel is given over and over and over again. Read your Bible and pray every day. And you might think, that's not enough. I don't know what else there is. God is ready to speak. Isn't that what he says in Hebrews? God, who in various times and various different ways has spoken through the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his son? No, it's much easier to call your friends, isn't it? Oh, we're having this marriage problem. My husband did this and my wife did. It's much easier to call the girlfriends, huh? You, you got five of them. So you just work your way down the list. You wouldn't believe what so-and-so did and, and then they, they give you their advice. And then you call the next one. Oh, I can't believe it. And it gets worse every call because nobody's really helping get your eyes back on the Lord. You wouldn't keep calling all your friends if one of your friends would just say, get your eyes off of your husband and submit yourself to the Lord. And you know what happens? Click. <laughs> because a woman of the word is going to give you that counsel and encourage you. And so you're more willing to listen to a friend and all their opinions as if they live your life. They don't live your life. And you're more willing to listen to some TED Talk, you know, and some guy on TED Talk, and he gives you 15 minutes of how to have a good marriage. And you're more willing to watch some daytime talk show or whatever it might be and what they have to say about marriage. When God invented marriage, he's the author of it. And only God could invent something like marriage. We wouldn't invent that. Think about it. You got selfish man here and selfish woman here. I got a great idea. Let's bring them together and make them one. So now that we have one selfish person with two selfish attitudes, let's throw them in a house together. And in the early days, a really small apartment. How's that? A room. And have two selfish people be selfish with each other and argue about toilet paper and argue about who does the laundry and argue and let's just go at it. Let's see. And you know, he's like, let's watch it all happen. 
except that God, he invented it. He designed it not to be so difficult, but he put us in marriage. Why? Marriage is to teach us selflessness, and it's to be enjoyed. And it's truly enjoyed when we're truly selfless with one another. And so there you are going through it, and that's, that's really some of the root of the issue. You're selfish, he or she is selfish, we're all selfish, and we need to submit ourselves to the Lord and be selfless with one another. And then, boom, I got a great idea. How about in the mix of all this craziness that we create another selfish person to live with us? <laughs> or adopt them, or how, let's add more selfishness into the mix. I mean, think about it. The first couple years of a baby's life is nothing but, ah, ah, like, what? What are you saying? I, I'm saying, pay attention to me. I'm more important than anyone. Look at me. Hold me. Do everything for me. And then, man, only God could create that. <laughs> and he did for our enjoyment, that he would be in the center of our marriage. So why our marriages would become a picture of Jesus Christ's relationship with his church? that men and women would get saved, that we would raise a godly generation, and we would become more selfless through the process. Look, you've got to be a man or a woman of the Word, not because some pastor told you to, but because the Bible says that it is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The opinions of your friends, even if they're good and godly, pale in comparison to reading what the Bible has to say of what you're supposed to do, and trusting God with your marriage, and trusting God with your spouse. Hey, I've been around long enough to know there's some real difficult, hurting things here today. But God is using them in your life so that you might abide in Him and learn of your sufficiency in Christ. Your spouse, as good as they get through the entirety of their life, will never fully satisfy you. They were never intended to fully satisfy you. They're not on the earth to make you happy Marriage is not, the main goal of marriage is not happiness, it's holiness. And a holy marriage leads to happiness and joy of the Lord. So in the context of Hebrews, this don't leave the word. Don't go backwards, go forwards. Like Warren Wiersbe wrote, he said this, I believe that the church is living in very similar circumstances today as the Hebrews. Everything around us is shaking and changing. People are discovering that they've been depending on the scaffolding and not the solid foundation of Christ. Even God's people have gotten so caught up in this world system that their confidence is not in the Lord, but in money and in buildings and in programs and other passing material things. As God continues to shake society, the scaffolding will fall away. And God's people will discover that their only confidence must be in the Word of God. Can anybody say an amen to the shaking going on in their lives right now? And God is shaking things in your life. The Bible says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? So that you will learn to put your full dependence upon the Lord and His Word. It's the only thing that gets you through. The Word of God is eternal. And so what does Hebrews say? How does it open up again? Well, notice with me. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and the upholding of all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, 
sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The book begins, it opens up with God. He's the central focus. There's no attempt to prove his existence. There's no need to prove his existence. God is God. He exists, and we are his creation. And he has chosen to graciously and sovereignly speak to his creation. We would never know who God is unless he told us. That's why so many people, they, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. So when they do that, they create false gods, little g. God has spoken to reveal himself to us. How? Through his word. He's spoken in times past through men, the prophets, and now in these last days, like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His word is final. It's the culmination of everything in this progressive revelation of God to man. Evolution doesn't speak because man created it. And atheism doesn't speak because man created that. Agnosticism doesn't speak because man created that. Buddhism doesn't speak because man created that. All false religions, all isms don't speak because men created them. But God, he speaks and he reveals himself and we desperately need that revelation. We can't know God until he chooses to reveal himself to us. The main message from God to man requires God to reveal himself to us through revelation. Man can't figure out God. We, don't, we, we aren't going to make it on our own. You could picture us like in a box. We're boxed in as humans. And the separations between us and God are innumerable. He's God and we're not. There's the time and space continuum. There's the ultimate knowledge and our limited knowledge. There's so many things that separate us from God. But God has decided to break into our box He's come down to us. He's not just come down to us in revelation through his word and through, through the revelation of, of the Bible, but he's come through the revelation of his son, God in human flesh. And he's brought the supernatural down to the natural. He's invaded our world. We haven't invaded his. And as Paul says, so many choose to suppress the truth. And they hold on to these things that were created by men. Men knew the truth about God and decided to suppress it and push it away in order that they might live their own lives on their own terms and not be convicted by the truths of God. The issue with people that fight against God right now, of all the things they might share with you, as you're sharing the gospel lovingly with your friends and family, of all the things they say, oh, I don't believe in the Bible and I don't believe in church and all the things that are on the surface, the root of their separation from God is something moral, not intellectual. It is a moral dilemma therein. That they come to the place, and maybe that's you today. You've come to the place, well, if I believe in God, then my life needs to change. And if you've come to that conclusion today, you're right. Not only if you believe in God do you need to change, but I'll give you something greater than that. If you believe in God today, God will change you. He'll begin to work in you on the areas that you have been unable to change yourself. And you've tried everything. You've even tried suppressing it all by drinking your thoughts away. You're just going to stay in a place of, you know, semi-drunkenness your whole life. And you'll be functional 
in terms of doing your responsibilities, but then at the same time, you've got to come out of that. And then when you come out of that, then you've got to deal with reality and you want to go right back into it. But one thing you didn't realize is that alcohol will control you. You don't have control. It starts with you having control over it, but it's so nasty that it takes control over you, as does Oxycontin, marijuana, any of these substances that you look to for comfort and ease actually begin to control your life and destroy your life. It's only God that can deliver your life and change you. And he's spoken. And one of the greatest things that he's ever spoken to us was simply this, that he loves us. And he demonstrates his love to us by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. We don't deserve it as we sing today. We, had, we haven't earned it. And yet God, he's offered it. That through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, the innocent replaces the guilty. Jesus is the innocent. You and I are the guilty ones. And if you will repent and turn away from your sins today and receive the free gift of salvation from God through his son, Jesus Christ, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, God has spoken, and he said some wonderful things, words of freedom, words of help, words of confidence. You know, one of the things that just been ministering to me recently, and I shared it earlier, is that I just reminded that what God has begun, he's faithful to complete it. You see, what God has started in your life, he's going to finish it. He's not going to abandon you halfway. He's not going to run out on you. He's not going to just disappear as you might have experienced in real life. That's not God. What he started in you, he's going to finish. He's committed to finish it. He's going to perfect, the Bible says, that which concerns you. He's promised to never leave or forsake you. He's for you and not against you. And he proved that to you. And you can trust him today. You don't need to doubt his word. He's spoken to us in various times throughout human history. Spoken to us as he's broken in to reveal his truth through the prophets leading up to Messiah. He's spoken to us in various ways, different types of ways. I mean, think of the ways that God has spoken over the years, over the span of history. He's used dreams, angels, the law, promises, creation, our conscience, preaching, visual illustrations. I mean, he's used people. He's used people like David, Daniel, Ezekiel, Moses, Jeremiah, Jonah. But think also, he also spoke through a burning bush. In another place, he spoke through a donkey. Jesus said, as they were trying to quiet the people worshiping him, Jesus said, hey, you know what? Even if everyone was quiet, these rocks would cry out. It's not that God isn't speaking. What the problem is, is that people don't want to listen to him. That's the issue. But God is speaking. God is constantly moving forward with his message. And the final summation of his message is found in Jesus Christ. And ultimately... God has spoken completely, finally, and supremely through his own son, Jesus Christ. He is the final revelation of God. But we have to be careful of religion and rituals because Jesus is all you need. You don't need your rituals. You don't need your religious requirements. You don't need to divide. And I know how hard it is to change. I'm always reminded of it when somebody calls to the church and, and I answer the phone in my office, say, hey, Calvary Chapel, how can I help you? And they'll say, what time does Mass start this Sunday? And I'll say, well, we have eight, you know, 6 o'clock on Saturday, 8.45, 10.45. Don't try to correct them. That's just where they're coming from. 
That's what they think this is. That's where they were raised. And so if they come, they come to one service, they're going to find out right away it's very different. It's very different. And then maybe I get a letter in the mail, not a phone call, but a letter in the mail, and it's addressed to Reverend Edward Taylor. <laughs> I, write, I know right away that person doesn't know me. Because the Bible says there's only one reverend, only one, and that's God. He's worthy of your reverence and your awe and your worship. And it's not Edward Taylor, it's God. But I understand where they're coming from. See, as Christians, we've got to learn. One of the greatest ways of sharing the gospel is to meet people where they are. Why do we become so judgmental of people? Why do we have to criticize everybody? Why do we have to correct everyone? Why can't we just meet people where they are and let the Lord do the work? There's so much resistance to the gospel today because the followers of Jesus think it's your responsibility to change the world. It's not. It's our responsibility to love and to serve, to be known as people that love one another and serve one another and meet people where they are and just wait and let God lead the conversation and just step into their life and lead them to the Lord. Take them to the cross. But I mean, to try to explain to somebody, oh no, this isn't a mass. I would lose the opportunity to ever reach them and love them and preach the gospel to them. And so maybe that's a word of the Lord to you. You just become so critical, so correcting. You got to fix everything when it's God does the work and he uses us as instruments of love in a community, in a world that's desperately looking for authentic demonstrations of love. And they don't even know what they're looking for, but when they find it, boom. That's it. Isn't that the way so many of you came to know Jesus Christ? God exploded in, and the thing he re revealed about himself to you is he loves you unconditionally. Amazing. Amazing indeed. Trust you've received his love and the gift of salvation. There is nothing better. Today on Abounding Grace, we've been in Hebrews as Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through this marvelous book. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to take in a steady dose of God's Word is through the app. It's free. Just search for Calvary Aurora. And we're also on Apple Podcasts. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you make a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, we'll send you a copy of The Calvary Road by missionary and evangelist Roy Hessian. In it, he describes the pathway to genuine revival. And you'll read both the prerequisites and consequences of God at work in the heart of a hungry seeker. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE. And don't forget to request The Calvary Road. That's 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed, I know you'll talk about this in our next couple of broadcasts, but can you give us a preview of how God speaks to us through Jesus? Yeah, you know, Larry, there are... Uh, that as we begin this study, really, I should say, in the book of Hebrews, like it's so encouraging to know that we can tune our ears to one voice. 
because there's a lot of voices out there, a lot of people speaking as if they're speaking on behalf of God, a lot of people speaking uh, as if they're even uh, the voice of Jesus. But how does Jesus speak to us or how does God speak to us as his final word through Jesus? We're going to look to his word. We're specifically going to look to those things that were inspired by the Holy Spirit that Jesus literally said. And many of your Bibles, you'll notice that there are red letters, and the red letters are simply there by the translators to help you see that this was something Jesus literally said out of his mouth. Now, the red letters are not more important than all the letters because the entire Bible is inspired, but we want to pay close attention to the teachings of Jesus that are recorded for us because he's going to give us direction. And here's the thing. A lot of people want to take the teachings of Jesus or the words of Jesus and kind of couch them in other ways to explain them away because they're so radical. Uh, They're so encouraging. Uh, And I always encourage folks to, to pay close attention as if you were walking with Jesus because, uh, you know, part of his group receiving his teachings, because that's what's going to train you and disciple you. So look to his word, and we'll get into it more in the study in Hebrews, but his word, his word, his word. Be a master of one book. Be a, we are a people of one book. So let's get at it. Thanks for that, Pastor Ed. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, we'll give you eight reasons why Jesus is superior. See you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.